Welcome to the Go Take Pictures podcast, where we spend time getting to know people who've decided to use photography to communicate in powerful ways. And the questions I want to ask, how do they balance making art with everyday life? What part does photography play in their family, career, passion, and vocation? At the end of the conversation, I'm hoping to know where the art comes from and then share that with you. My guest on this episode is Frankie Detanki, a digital art collector in the Web3 community. Frankie is a well-known patron and collector with an impressive gallery of photography, digital art, and collectibles. We spent some time talking about his background in the technology world, working in a variety of positions from Fortune 500 companies to startups. This is a bit of a departure from our usual type of guest, as Frankie isn't a photographer, but as someone intimately involved in the burgeoning digital art world, his perspective is super interesting. He also happens to own a few pieces of my art. Frankie Detanki. It's a play on the uh, the movie Old School. I'm thinking, is that right? That's right. Yep. Okay. Okay. And I'm give give away his. You kind of already mentioned that to me, but I'm a big Will Ferrell fan, so I kind of already picked up on it uh, yeah. <laughs> months ago when I first saw it. Um, so first of all, thanks for taking the time to to talk with me today. It is uh, the middle of December, just a little bit before Christmas when we're recording this, and uh, it is we're in the middle of like a weird kind of Arctic blast. It's super cold here in Portland, and I think out on the out on the other side of the country, it's supposed to get super cold where you're at today, right? It is in Atlanta. It doesn't typically get as cold as it is about to, but uh, forecast suggests it's going down to 12 Fahrenheit, uh, which is unheard of. So everyone in Atlanta is losing their minds right now. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, it's, it's interesting because Portland, we're, we're expecting an ice storm here like in the next hour or two. And uh, Portland ice storm is no joke. It shuts everything down and it's it's pretty brutal. So uh We'll, we will be commiserating, co-commiserating from the opposite sides of the country, I think. Yeah, we'll stay warm. <laughs> exactly. Well, I first of all, I'm just going to put this out there. You actually um, own three different pieces of my of my art. Um, so I have to just say, like, it, it's it's awesome to be able to have a conversation with you and just say thank you, because that, that means a ton to me. Um, so thanks. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm going to take uh, good care of... Uh good care of your product and uh, your art. I, I like to think of myself as a, not a buyer or a collector, but a custodian. So oh, I like in, that. It's in good hands. <laughs> I like that. That's great. Well, it's, it's such an interesting, um, I think, so I, I got into the digital I, and I'll, I'll say something here. I shared this this morning on Twitter, but I've been over the last year moving progressively towards talking about it as digital fine art as opposed to, you know, NFTs is kind of the, the world we live in. There's all kinds of fun collectible stuff, but, um, the digital fine art side of things for me, it's, it's really great to, to meet the people who, who are the custodians, the people who, uh, find it, uh, fall in love with it, decide that it's something they'd like to care for and have be part of their collections. I, that's always, uh, that's pretty cool. I love hearing you say that being a custodian. Yeah. 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 No, I, I take it. Uh, I try to take it seriously. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's, let's just kind of dive in here a little bit. I think, um, the, the folks who are going to be listening, um, I would guess are primarily going to be people from Twitter, from the NFT, uh, community, uh, the, the digital fine art NFT community. I would love for you to give, um, an introduction, talk about who you are, um, what you do, how you got involved in the space. 
Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for asking. I, and Dan, it's great to, uh, great to meet you and have an opportunity to chat. I'm hoping to get as much out of this as, as you and, and the listeners, but, um, a little bit about me. It's, that's a, a great question because who doesn't like talking about themselves, right? So <laughs> I'm right uh, there with you, right yeah. there with you. I, uh, I grew up in uh, New Jersey. In fact, out of my bedroom window, I could see the Statue of Liberty. So that's how close I was to New York City. But I moved to Atlanta in 1993, um, just before the Olympics came to Atlanta. Uh, I had a great uh, job opportunity with uh, uh, the organization that former President Jimmy Carter was running in Atlanta trying oh, wow. to help revitalize Atlanta's inner city. And it made me fall in love with the, uh, with the city. Uh, and so I've been here since 93. I did move away to Silicon Valley for, for a four year period of time and then landed back in, um, back in Georgia. Uh, I've got a wife and two kids. My kids are 14 and, and 19. Uh, I also have a, about a 30 year professional career. I like to think I look a lot younger than somebody who could have <laughs> spent 30 years, but, um, a few startup opportunities, but I've also worked with some exceptional companies. Uh, I currently work at a Fortune 500 financial technology company, but I've worked at Google in the past. I've worked at MasterCard. I've worked at Accenture. Uh, two startups, one was successful and one wasn't. Um, That's kind of how it goes, and, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was a. That's pretty good odds, right there. Uh, yeah, I've, I was. I was a paper multimillionaire uh, for the one that didn't work. So. Uh, a lesson to always take your gains when you can. You know, don't, <laughs> don't sit on them. Um, I like to I like to say I've I've lived through three significant technological shifts. I was a grad student at the University of Pennsylvania during the birth of uh, the internet, the World Wide Web. I remember accessing Usenet groups mm -hmm. uh, back in 1992. I actually got a date with a girl from DARPA uh, when I was in Philadelphia and she was in D.C. So I was internet dating before the internet. Oh wow. Even you know, a thing. Uh, so I lived through that and I actually had quite a, an interesting consulting career on the back of the internet. The startup I was involved with uh, actually was at the birth of mobile web. So, you know, from the internet to mobile web. And now here I, here we are on the cusp of web three, uh, which uh, I find it fascinating that there are very few large companies who who are involved in web three. Most of it mm -hmm. is grassroots entrepreneurial builders who are actually trying to reconstruct the web, which, you know, even in my current financial technology company, most of what web three can deliver is likely more of a threat than an opportunity to them. Um, right. But I'm passionate about it. I, I like to say I haven't, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I am drunk <laughs> of, uh, of web three. Uh, and, you know, I give uh, Chris Dixon and Punk6529 a lot of the credit for lighting the spark. Uh, so I've been collecting since about August of 21. Mm -hmm. um, I remember trying to figure out, let me buy my first NFT. Mm -hmm. uh, and my first NFT was a crypto kitty named Frankie, uh, and <laughs> which, you know, back to my name. Uh, I, I used to like to say, obviously it's a derivation of my real name, which is Frank, but, uh, Frankie, I used to tell people, uh, is what my sisters call me. I have four mm. sisters okay, okay. and people, people who I love and who love me gravitate to eventually referring to me as Frankie. And, and what, what enthralled me about this community 
was how close you get to feel to people you've never meet, you never meet. And so I thought, um, I thought leaning into the name Frankie and leaning into Will Ferrell was, was appropriate. So that was my first NFT, but you know, in that time I've, I've been collecting, um, everything from NFT photography, NFT fine art. Uh, I've got a, a portfolio of utility tokens for a range of different projects. Right. I've got a handful of PFPs. Uh, the one PFP that, uh, you know, talking about being a custodian, I like to say, I can guarantee you that my hope is that three generations from now, somebody will make a determination as to whether or not to sell uh, my Skull of Lucy, which acts as my uh, Twitter PFP now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I will never let that one go. So uh, it's in essence what I've decided to be my uh, my persona for Web3. Uh, but that's, you know, that's my story in, uh, in NFT land. And I, I'm, it's only been a year, but it feels like uh, an entire career. So yeah, yeah. hopefully that's, that's a bit of color. Oh, that's great. Me. Well, I think we joke around about, I, I like, I don't know what it's like for a collector who has a career and is doing all this stuff for the art, for artists. It's kind of a split. Some of us are, are full-time photographers. Some of us um, I'll have day jobs and, and are just, you know, kind of jumping in here where we can, but we're always kind of joking around regardless of that, that, you know, if you are gone for, you know, four to four or five days, it feels like you've been gone for a month. So yeah. it, it, things, things move so quickly <laughs> and it can be really easy. I know FOMO can be looked at as this really bad thing. Um, but there's sometimes just, you go, Hey, I missed the group chat. I haven't been in the group chat for the today. And a ton of stuff has happened. So it all moves really quickly. Yeah. You know, there's, um, there's a really interesting observation I have that might be useful for people to kind of think about <clears throat> when they're thinking about this artist collector relationship, especially amongst collectors. I'm not sure I know of any collector that does this full time, right? We all have, right. We all have day jobs. And I even know this in my, in my current position where I'm engaged at fairly high levels of organizations trying to sell and position, you know, complex technology solutions to clients all over the world. And I, I'm certainly sensitive to the fact that the probability that I'm going to have one conversation with somebody and that conversation is going to result in a sale is almost 0% because right. what I've got to offer and what they're interested in in buying or what problems they have on that particular day, if those two will actually meet would be a, a miracle. It'd be like a, a, a rocket shooting another rocket out right. of the sky. And what, what I've sensitized to is these things take time, right? You've got to, yeah. you've got to kind of constantly be front of mind. You've got to be out there. It's a, it's a long-term relationship. And I, I see that a lot in web three, some artists that, I might perceive getting discouraged because, hey, I put this collection out and it's been four days and nobody's nobody's kind of bought it, right? Nobody's right. buying. And, and it's really important to understand that, you know, the people you might be shilling, and I, I use the term shilling affectionately. I don't, it's not a, not a negative term. Strategic shilling, I think, is, right. is, is absolutely required. Right. But to assume that you're going to drop into somebody's DMs, present them something that you've just minted, and hope that within a day they're going to take action. You know, hopefully folks understand how uncommon it would be for that to actually right, right. happen. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and I think everybody's gone through that. I mean, that's 
So, you know, my background is that I was a commercial photographer for the last six years. Um, and, and before that I was a banker, I actually worked in wealth management at us bank for 12 years. I mean, I, I had a bunch of different jobs, but I worked in wealth management and everything from underwriting to investments to, you know, loan, you know, loan origination, a little bit of everything. And you just, and I learned in that time that it almost, it's almost never a, a, a one-time thing. You don't just walk in and go, Hey, here's the thing you should have. And they go, okay, that's great. Let's do that. I mean, every once in a while, you, it's lucky and the stars align and the person needs exactly what you have or wants exactly what you have, but that's pretty rare. That's right. That's pretty, exactly pretty the point. Yep. Yeah. And and that was the the case as a, as a commercial and editorial photographer. So much of what I would do is it's just selling my art. It's It's trying to get somebody to go, oh yeah, that guy, he shoots the way I want. Let's hire him. But it's so much more about relationship than it is even about is the art something we want? Because I mean, I've had so many times where people have told me, you know, I know, have another photographer that I know of who's maybe better than you, but we really like working with you and we like the communication that we have with you. So, yeah. Yeah. So, that that idea of relationship is another really interesting topic. One of the things that I feel so grateful uh, for in my collecting activity is the fact that you know, I may, my wife and I may be out at some, some nice area one afternoon and we may go into a, into a fine art shop and admire some of the art there. And you may collect it and you find out that the artist is somebody local who sells their work through that shop. And that's been great. You know, my house is adorned with, with art, most of which has been commissioned art uh, that we've, we've had from artists we get to know locally. But what, intrigues me the most about some of the web three collecting is, you know, I've got artists in my portfolio from Ethiopia, from right. India, from Southeast Asia, from Latin America, from literally all over the world, whose work I never would have been exposed to, Oh yeah, you know, prior to, prior to web three. I'm so. exactly the same. Mine's exactly yeah. the same. I have, I have quite a few pieces from Turkish artists. Yeah. There's a there's just a massive community of of photographers that that just dove in on web3, just dove, dove headfirst in and it's their work is amazing and Agreed. I'm like cool, Turkey, who would have known? I mean, I I actually learned about them because I was co-leading um the uh Meta Jungle has this AMA um it's an AMA feedback for collections and Mike Schmidt and I co-led it in the early days. And then we, a bunch of different artists have come on board. They all signed up, they got in there and it was fun because sometimes some of them wouldn't speak English. So we'd have somebody else translate for them in these discord spaces. It was wild. Yeah. Yeah. No, we love the, uh, we love the Turkish artists. And I also love just the, there's a hate to generalize anywhere, but there's also a commercial sense to Turkish artists. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they understand, you know, it's not like, here's my art, buy it. It's, you know, they really, you can see their their work evolves very quickly because they're trying to find that, you know, product market fit, yep. that, you know, people, people. Are I love those Turkish artists. I'm, <laughs> I'm a big fan. Yeah. yeah. No, that, and that's great. Cause they're all over the place and the artists are all over the place. And I've, I've, gotten to be good friends with and collected from people from New Zealand, Australia, uh, Africa, uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, a uh, bunch of, a bunch of friends that are Canadian that I would have never connected with. 
Right. Um, and it's, it's great. The, the, it goes, it goes so deep. The, the connections are, it's, it's really interesting to see the borders not be a thing like they are in, in the more traditional, you know, even like, so in landscape photography, there is, there is kind of a division between um, the European landscape photography uh, community and the North American um, and even, and even between Canadian and American um, landscape photographers, we just don't, we don't talk as much. We're not part of the same communities. So it's, it's interesting to see that in the NFT crypto world that those barriers don't really exist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and as a collector, I, I do apply a level of conscious action in trying to find art. And if I find that I'm collecting from, you know, a certain group of people too frequently, like the Canadian artists, I, the NFT photographers that I, I love so much for a while there, I was, I was into astrophotography and the New Zealand, Australian artists there were, you know, they're enormously, you know, powerful in that space, yeah. but I try to make an effort. And I'm also conscious of the fact that, a that, a a one ETH purchase from somebody in Western Europe or the U S is a completely different scale to a one ETH purchase mm-hmm. to an Ethiopian or Southeast Asian artist. Oh yeah, I for mean, sure. You know, one, one could almost be life-changing in some, right. some degree. So yeah, I, 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 I'm conscious of that and, uh, and make an effort to, uh, to actively seek out as diverse a group of artists as I, as I can. That's, and that's interesting. The idea that you just sharing the wealth that you're finding art, but also trying to be, um, what's the right word here? Um, conscientious about how, about what are that, where the, uh, how it impacts the artist and where, yeah. and where that investment and that, uh, that choice can actually make a big giant difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, what, what, what I didn't mention in the background, um, you know, while NFT uh, collecting w- was relatively new, I've been investing in cryptocurrency since 2013. I, I think wow. I bought my first Bitcoin at a at a price of about sixty dollars. <laughs> wow! Um, and I remember having to pay cash for it. I actually bought it over the counter at a CVS. Interestingly <laughs> enough. Uh, <laughs> You know, by printing out a barcode, the same way you buy a money order, right? They yeah. they scan it, and I gave them my sixty dollars, and they gave me a receipt, and I typed some code back at home in my computer, and that was my first. Uh, oh wow, my, my first investment. I like to say it was my first Bitcoin, but I was fortunate to actually buy five of them. Okay, uh, for about three hundred bucks. Oh wow, the counter, <laughs> and uh, and I could show you my back porch right now. I, I refer to it as uh, Club Bitcoin because okay. I, uh, I like to think I, I built it on the back of that investment. So that works. That works. Well, and I, I will tell you that, uh, one of my, one of my good friends, uh, just bought a brand new camera off of the, the ETH that he made from his art. Um, so it's, uh, I paid my mortgage for a couple months earlier this year <laughs> before I took on a full-time job. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's real. I mean, it can be real. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay. So I want to kind of, sh- kind of shift gears here a little bit. Um, so, so a couple things I'm, I think it's interesting to hear about where you're at in life. Um, I have, I've been following you on Twitter, you know, for, I don't know, probably about a year or so, probably about the time you started, um, collecting in here. And so I have seen pictures. I'm, you and I are, while I'm not going to share your face, uh, publicly, uh, we are video chatting (laughs) and, 
you've shared pictures of your home and like digital art frames and different kinds of art that you have. That's, that's physical art. How did you get into collecting art? Cause you mentioned you've got commissioned pieces, you know, physical commissioned pieces in your home. How, is this something that was, was collecting art a new thing when you started collecting NFTs or something you've been doing for a while? Well, you know, I, I give my, I give my wife uh, credit. She's incredibly creative and she surrounds herself with creative types. Um, and so over the years, um, she, she's always gotten a really big kick out of taking photographs that are meaningful to she and I taking them to an artist and saying, can you recreate mm. this photograph in an oil? And, sure. um, and uh, so you could you could see behind me. In fact, you you could see it. the the uh, the listeners can't, but the the big painting in the back is actually a picture of my wife's sister. Oh, that's great! Uh, that she had recreated into a an oil from an artist that she likes. And so, our house, you know, our home. It's 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 a very nice home. I've been fortunate and blessed to be able to afford this. But as I look around it, on our main floor. Every piece of art we have on the wall has a story behind it. it is wow. something we've either commissioned and we've explained to the artist a story where we want them to kind of pull out into the painting. And so um, we've always been involved in that. And I can tell you the first, my first foray into uh, collecting NFTs was very much more on the collectible PFP side. Sure. Um, and your, your, your cat, your cat named Frankie. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, cri <laughs> right. Crypto kitties, MFers, uh, you know, things of that nature. Right. Uh, and then uh, I got involved in a project um, called Lit uh, okay. about yeah. a little over a year ago. And right. its claim to fame was, you know, they had gotten Cosimo de Medici involved. Right. And, and I immersed myself in the Discord. I got involved and... I want to say it must have been in a January, but Cosimo had uh, encouraged uh, everybody in the Discord to go on a on a on a Twitter raid of right. artists who had art listed at I want to say there was some number less than 0.3 ETH. Okay, and they enlisted a few people to find the artists and then sent us out. Uh, you know, Bryn Elise was one of the, one of the artists. Yep. Her I remember. Her photographs was. Bryn's a good uh, friend of mine. So I, I remember and, that happening. Yeah. And, and none of them knew what was going on, but all of them had like this unbelievable number of pieces acquired. And, and I could tell you, I was emotionally engaged in that, in that project, um, in that particular effort and, and saw the impact it had on the artists who were subject to it. And, it, it just took off from there. And I, I, I mean, I literally, you know, I've invested, I probably have a collection of over 400 pieces, but it all started from that one Twitter raid uh, oh. that day. Uh, and uh, some of those artists are still in, you know, very active. Uh, obviously, Bryn's kind of reached new plateaus and yeah. has an amazing, amazing portfolio of work as, as others do. Uh, but that's what started it. And then I, I'll tell you, I, you know, I, I joke with my wife. I think I have a problem. Like, you know, she's got to get me <laughs> off the computer every now and again and, right. and have me, have me stop. But I could tell you there are, there are some pieces that I've got that, 
I know uh, will be passed on for future generations. And it's, it's really been, it's really been a blessing and it's like any other hobby. I mean, I could spend my weekends on the golf course, you know, wasting a lot of money and getting very frustrated or <laughs> I could spend my weekends, you know, looking at foundation and super rare and open sea and finding great artists to support. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Well, it's, it's interesting you brought that up because that's as an artist, one of the things that we're always, we're kind of always watching and we don't, we don't have any idea how much communication is happening behind the scenes. And before we started recording, we talked about uh, Miyamo Matt, uh, who's one of my earliest collectors and, and is my, he has the, the one piece of mine that's sold for the most. And it's, it was a super meaningful piece, but he also lives here locally. And so it was interesting for me to be able to meet up with him and, and talk about how he thinks about the art. And it's really similar to what you're saying. Um, he's kind of talked about the idea of building a collection that has, um, and this is all before he started announcing the stuff he's working on now, but he was talking about building a collection that would have future value as a, you know, kind of as a, as a collection, the way that, the way that fine art pieces are acquired, you know, like a gallery would, would, would buy an entire collection from a, from somebody when they pass away in the, in the estate hands them off. And he was kind of talking about building something like that. So it's, it's cool to hear you kind of use some of the same kinds of um, ideas and phrases that I've heard from him as well. Yeah. And it's, it's serendipity. It's, it's not some, you know, grandmaster plan that a number of collectors like, like Mayamo Matt and myself are, are hashing out. I, you know, I've had an opportunity to interact with, with him as well. And, I, I very much see it when we talk how aligned we are on what's happening. And, I, you know, I sh- for the artists out there listening, the stars are aligning behind, you know, doing some really, really amazing things in the space. And so I, I keep encouraging the artists I engage with to hang in there. And it may feel like a like a winter now, but, um, you know, this space isn't going away anytime soon. And and the building that's happening below the waterline, I think, is just going to continue to create great opportunities for for people who have the staying power. I love hearing that. So I have a so you you teed up a conversation that I know you want to talk about because you met, we talked about it already. Um, I'm looking at the the piece of art on your wall that was commissioned, custom you know, custom made for you based on a photo of your wife's sister. You have, you've mentioned you had, you had a recent thread on Twitter where you talked about, um, the idea of, of commissioned partnership with artists. I'd love to know more about kind of what you're thinking along those lines. Why that, why does that interest you? And what do you, what do you have in mind? Yeah. Great question. And thank you. So, uh, a few kind of observations of the world and, and kind of principles around which, why I think. 2023 may be the year for commissioned NFT art. Um, number one, just a, a blank assertion that is a fact. The Mona Lisa was a commissioned piece, mm-hmm. right? So commissions have a place in in the art world. Right. Um, I've seen in the past year artists I love and respect, uh, you know, Matt Scoble and Kat Samard, two of the Canadian artists that I'm sure mm-hmm. we, we're both connected with, I, I was observing that they were undertaking these really interesting projects where they would travel to distant locations, 
create amazing art, come back, work on it for months, and then put it up for sale. And I was thinking to myself that those artists sure are taking a lot of the risk. In fact, 100% of it Mm -hmm. on the hope that they're going to create something so amazing that they're going to get a return on their investment. And I started thinking, you know, Matt recently did a a trip to Japan and he and I were talking about what he was doing. And I was like, I want to support you. And so he's somebody I know and I trust. And, and we've had some Twitter spaces on this. I said, I have no idea what form this is going to take, but let me send you some ETH to help you in this trip. And then let's talk about when you come back, you know, how we can, how, how we can do something with it. And, and and that was nice, and that was kind of a a bit of a um, a quick decision, but why not put some structure and some guidelines around that and kind of scale it up? And so, right. um, so the goal would be share in the risk of not eliminate it, but you know, don't put the artist out there to take a hundred percent of the risk. Maybe share in the risk, give them the broad strokes of a narrative to go pursue. Uh, and then own a piece of one of one art on the back end of it, maybe mint an addition piece off of the trip that could fund the next artist. And then also give the artist the opportunity to go create whatever they want to create while they're, while they're there. So let's say, Dan, I, I commission a piece for you to go, go to Hawaii, uh, you know, to shoot some surf pictures or some waves. And, and I say, I just want one, but I want it, you know, at sunset, I want it to be my GN, you know, photo uh, yeah. when I go, go to bed <laughs> at night. Uh, and I want it this time of year and, you know, create a second piece that we can mint as an addition. And if we can sell it, then I can go send the next artist on, on a trip somewhere. And then while you're there, have at it, you know, and, yeah. and maybe the commission is enough to compensate you for the, for the piece. It's enough to offset some of your travel expenses, give you an opportunity to go someplace you otherwise would have had to stretch in order, in order to do. Right. And I, as I think through that, just on that level alone, it sounds to me as a collector, like a great deal. And I assume to an artist, it would sound like a pretty, pretty good deal. (laughs) There are not many artists that would say no to that, but I have to tell you that if, if that were an actual thing, I would catch hell from Jason O'Rourke if I took it Uh, and didn't loop him in because Jason lives on Oahu and he, he, I've actually met up with him in person and he's taken me on the tour of the island uh, to see his, uh, the seals, the, the monk seals and the turtles. So yeah, 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 he he does. He does great work too. And uh, Jason, you know, for him, yeah. And for him, maybe the commission cost would be relatively low because he wouldn't have much, much, much travel to do. But, um, and so this is beginning to come into play because I've got two projects in mind and I, you know, I know you've done commercial work, so I'd love to hear your perspective on this. The thing I get hung up, hung up with, and this really comes from a, a level of naivete. I'm not a lawyer. I don't pretend to be one. I don't, I try to do things without having to involve contractual terms. I'm not sure I can really execute this without thinking through issues related to copyright. So an example is, you know, I, I, I come from the professional world and I'm very familiar with the concept of work for hire. And I hire consultants to do studies for my current, you know, job for a fortune 500 company. And, right. and there are two types of consultants out there. There are some consultants who you can, um, you can hire and they will do what's called work for hire. They right. produce the work, they give it to you. They won't give it to anybody else. 
you paid them for it. They almost have to turn their brain off and say, yeah, I yeah. will not use this work for anybody or for any other reason. Right. The second is, you know, you hire really good consultants who you're hiring them for their expertise. You know, you know, they come with a set of experiences. They refuse to sign up for work for hire because they're like, right. I can't turn my brain off. In fact, you're hiring me for my expertise. And while right. I can do a piece of work and I'll put some limitations, I won't sell it to your competitors you know, there'll be very thin requirements. Uh, and, um, and for them, you typically pay a premium. And so for commissioned work, what I'm, what I'm grappling with, and Dan, I'd love your feedback and for others listening to give it some thought. If I were to commission you to do a work, you know, what, how would we construct it? How could we construct it in a way that gives you the, the creative latitude, but also gives me some, some assurance that, if you were to create a one of one of one for me, you wouldn't do something with that one of one that uh, that you would commercialize, or maybe I'd be cool with that, um, knowing that I created or or acquired the first piece. Uh, maybe that's maybe I'm not thinking about it right. But what are your what are your thoughts around how to how to think? Yeah. Well, and and before we started recording, I mentioned to you, um, and I've talked about this a bit on Twitter that I'm. I've been a commercial photographer. Um, I'm pretty involved with um, ASMP, the American Society of Media Photographers. Um, I've actually been the president of my local chapter for a few years. And we are really active in copyright, um, trying to make sure that copyright laws are uh, beneficial to artists. Uh, and this is not just for photographers. It's for anybody who makes any kind of creative thing. You know, So art, art music, um, digital art, graphic design, all these kinds of things. And I think it's, I think it's really good to kind of understand the definitions of how this stuff works. So when a person makes a piece of art, they own the copyright. You don't have to register it. You own it. If you register, if you register the copyright, you can actually, you can get more money in a dispute. So, you know, if, if there's actually a way for you to get not just damages, but also, um, more than that, you know, um, not just the actual damages, but also, um, you know, additional costs. So just to suffice to say, you don't have to register it. If you make it, you own it. And this is kind of where the, the one where the monkey got a hold of the camera and took a picture and they're like, Hey, the monkey owns the copyright, not the guy who owns the camera. <laughs> so a good way to, to, so that's good to kind of understand is that in a normal circumstance, that's how it works. Now I live in Portland and a lot of my friends that are commercial photographers, they do work for Nike because Nike's here. They're in, they, they it always says Beaverton, but they're actually in, they're actually in Portland in unincorporated Multnomah or unincorporated Washington County. It's, they're actually in this weird spot where they have negotiated no, that they're not actually in a city. So they have pay less taxes, but they're here in the Portland area. And when you go work for Nike, you are not, you do not own the copyright for any of the work you make. So you also, there's two things that are really true. First of all, you are signing off on being for hire, which means Nike um, owns all rights to the work. And the reason why is because you are working for them and you're, and you're for hire. And this is not true for everybody, but it's mostly true. And that means you don't get to talk about it. You don't have any rights to it. You can't use it for anything else. And Nike owns the copyright. It's because of the way the contract works. That's a pretty normal thing um, in in kind of the e-commerce world. 
It's a little bit less common in the fine art world, um, in the landscape world, in the portrait world. You know, and a good example would be like if you go and you are a wedding photographer and you and you go and you photograph somebody's wedding, the photographer owns the photos, and they then license the photos, and they give a license for for the bride and groom to use the photos, but also for the bride and groom to print them. Um, so, so that's a way for you to think about. They they don't share the ownership; they share the rights to how on how to use them. So what I'm kind of think, hearing you say is if you were to hire somebody like myself and you said, Hey, I want you to go and I want you to go, like, I'll, I'll use your example. I want you to go to Hawaii and I want you to find an amazing sunset that I can use, you know, kind of as my part of my brand. I, I want to be able to use it however I want. And I don't want you to use it any other way. I want it to be mine alone. So it belong. it's Frankie's only Frankie can use it. Dan can't ever use it for anything. So let's say we decided to do it that way. Well, there's a couple of different ways that I could approach that as, as a photographer. I could either A, assign the copyright to you when you, when you, that, that would be a full buyout. You, you actually buy the rights to the photo. You buy the ownership of it. Usually for a photographer to do that, it would be a very high price. Um, right. And the reason why is because a photographer that makes a living taking photos a large portion of our ability to make money from photography is to be able to relicense them later. It's to be able to do other things with it. So if you, if I made a photo for you and then Apple comes to me and goes, Hey, our next software is going to be named uh, North shore OS 10 North shore, <laughs> the, the, the new Apple software. I can't license it to Apple even if they wanted it because you've bought all the rights so that it has to be a lot. And some photographers are willing to give up those rights for not a lot of money but a smart commercial photographer is not they they right. will they'll charge a premium for that um there's also the ability for you to just buy exclusive rights where i would continue to own the copyright but i would make a determination and and basically promise to you in in writing that i will never use the photo for anything else it will never be used by anybody else it will only be yours um and sometimes what we'll do is we'll say, Hey, it's exclusive. You know, Frankie gets to, gets to use it. However, Frankie wants to use it. I don't get to ever let anybody else use it, but I can also talk about that, it, that I took it. I can put it on my website. I can promote it as my own work. So that would be an exclusive license. Um, that is very common with larger fortune 500 type companies where they don't want, they don't want to share an image that they might use in their branding. Um, so that, that'd be a kind of a second way to do things. Um, the work for hire thing is, is kind of different from just somebody buying it and then, um, and buying it out. Work for hire would mean anything I shoot while I'm working for you contractually belongs to you straight away. Like I don't ever get any rights to it. Um, a lot of photographers, um, are very uh, reticent to, they don't want to do that. Um, and it's because if they kept catch anything on the shoot that might be usable that you don't care for, they don't get rights to that either. Cause it's yeah. usually, it's usually per shoot. It, you would, you would sign off the rights to everything you shoot while you're there. Yeah. I got it. This is really, really helpful for me to kind of think through the approach and, you know, on one, one, and, you know, I've had a few artists reach out to me for, for, for an item that I've collected. They've said, Hey, I've got a physical presence in some town. 
I'd love to sell prints of the item that you purchased. Would you have any objection to it? Right. And my knee jerk reaction is go for it. You know, right. if I own the, the original, the one and only digital that you minted on a known date because it's memorialized on the blockchain, make as many copies of it as you can and get it as widely recognized as possible. Get as many eyes on it as you can. And that would just accrue to me as a benefit. It's It makes yours I, more valuable, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It kind of, you know, puts, puts it out in the sunlight. So I come from that place where I want that to happen. I, 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 you know, thinking through if I were to commission somebody, how to articulate this in a way that's easily understood that it's standard and customary, you know, um, the whole notion of exclusivity. I mean, the, the immutability of the blockchain provides me a high degree of assurance that, you know, what date it was minted, you know, when it was minted, um, you own it and therefore right. you can always, uh, reconcile who's, who's got the original, even if they were to make some kind of derivative product of it. And I, I don't know any artists that really understand web three who would ever take the risk of selling me a one of one and then reminting you'd get, it and selling it I mean, yeah, as an you'd, artist. You'd, you'd get canceled. <laughs> yeah, you, you well, I've had people outside of the NFT world say, well, what's to stop people from, you know, the whole right click save thing, you know, what's to stop you from doing another one? And I, and I think that there's a there's a sense that, you know, we're always talking about oh so and so copied this thing or they, or they faked this photo and it's not real and they said it was, and then we and then we, they go get canceled you know and they go oh well you know like Steve Curry took all these amazing photos and portraits and it comes out that some of the stuff is kind of fabricated and it pisses people off because he's a documentary photographer, but then I think, okay, in our world if you expect to continue to have a a, a, a successful business selling digital art, this is the place, this is the marketplace. And if you develop a reputation as someone who mints something and then sells it and then mints it again, even though you said that was the one of one, you know, your reputation falls apart and people aren't going right. to buy from you anymore. Yeah. So, let, me, let me ask you this twist. So this is really helpful for me to kind of crystallize my own thinking. Uh, the twist around if I commission a piece of work and I'm, I'm looking to create some kind of self-sustaining income stream to then fund a, a, the next project and the next project and the next right. project, there's a way to potentially construct the mechanics of the royalty scheme to accrue back to, you know, me as the collector right. or, you know, some transparent entity that I establish that right. becomes the, which everybody can audit on the blockchain to see where's that ETH going and whose wallet and where's it going from there. Does that right. present any challenges with how to think through? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, here's the, something that's, that's good. And I don't, I don't know what, how much do you know about this, but we're, we are as artists always talking about where do you, how do you mint these? Are they on manifold? Are they minted directly on super rare or on foundation or lazy minted on OpenSea? So this is stuff we're always wrestling with. Um, there are abilities for you to assign kind of co-creators in, you know, so if I go and I say, Hey, I, I'm going to mint a new piece of work. I can set it up when I mint it, that the contract shares royalties with another address. Now, one of the things that's been weird over the last month or two months is that some of the marketplaces are kind of dicking around <laughs> with royalties. They don't respect what you how you minted it. So if I mint 
and I say, hey, I want 10% to go to me and 10% to go to someone else, if I tell Manifold that, it's minted. But one of the things that's kind of weird is that the ERC721 contract does not include native royalties. Royalties are something that was kind of made up by OpenSea from what I've been told. And so OpenSea then got kind of weird and they're like, well, we don't, that's not really built into the chain. And so we don't really have to respect it. And so as much as we want to try to include other people, it's kind of on the person selling it to include somebody, to include somebody else from a royalty standpoint. So if you and I made a piece of art and and we decided that when it sells, um, there's a royalty and the royalty is going to feed into a wallet that is you know controlled by you for this fund for making more art. That's great, and it might work on the first pass if we set it up correctly, but it probably won't. There's lots of ways to get around it on secondary. We'll put it that way. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's it's actually and there's been I was listening to a podcast with with um, the um, the we do a little uh, podcast that's D's um, has been running and they were talking about, you know, kind of how this stuff works and how we're just not at a place where royalties are necessarily respected all the time. So I don't know that you could build it in and just have it a hundred percent of the time work the way it's supposed to. Right. I, I, I gotta believe that there's a lot of really smart folks trying to figure out how to make it more predictable. Yeah. But a good way to think about it is, you know, the theoretical, uh, Hawaii sunset, if you commissioned that piece, I come back, I send you the photo and you go, that's amazing. That's great. Let's mint that one. When I, when I mint it, what I could do is I can mint it and, and set it up so that the, so that the royalties are set to go and, you know, part of the royalties go to a specific address. And so that could be a thing. I mean, that's, that's totally doable. And especially if, if you're the one funding that the purchase of the, of the art, then it's really easy to kind of go, okay, I've set it up this way and this, and there's a a portion of the purchase goes somewhere else. So that's, that's actually not hard to set up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good to know. And so, you know, I really do think figuring this stuff out in a way where the methods, the approaches, the practices, the, the things we're talking about to the degree there's a template, if you will, for how to do it, how to engage an artist. Maybe there's a, a kind of a thin agreement of some sort that, you know, others can leverage that becomes a right. kind of a bit of a standard template. I really do think the concept, the concept of commissioned work could, could be a really interesting way to put some juice into the entire Web3 art space to, you know, to bring collectors earlier into the process, very consistent with the concept of what I, what I, my pin tweet is all about the co-creation of value to the degree that there are creatives who are willing to work with collectors. I mean, I've got ideas in my head of things I'd love to see, but I don't have the skill that a creative would have to actually produce it. And so if there's a way I could partner you know, to have that created, but then constructed in a way where I'm not only getting a, a one of one, but an addition piece that has certain mechanics around it, that if that were also to sell, could potentially fund, you know, the oh, second okay. artist and the third artist see, and the fourth artist. That's, well, and see, that's an interesting way to think about it because let's say you, you, I, you know, as an artist, I go make a, a piece that's the one of one that's just for you. 
but then we also make a, another version of, of it, uh, another piece that's related that then I just hand that off to you and you mint it or I mint it for, you know, out of a wallet that we share, you know, like that we, that we set up that, you know, it's, I, I guess it makes sense for the artist to be the one minting it, but we set it up. And then, like you said, the proceeds from that edition then fund the project going forward. Right. That would, that's actually not, that's actually a pretty interesting idea. Yeah. And I know that there's been, you know, people have done similar things like that where they, Hey, everything I sell from this is going to be funding, you know, a charity, you know, some kind of charity. You could do the very same thing with funding a, you know, um, an account that's used to kind of do the next thing <laughs> to yeah. send, to send the next person off on a, on a, a wild hunt for, for art. Yeah, I think that, and, I, and I think there's a countless number of both artists that would enjoy that, um, who are already doing it, but they're taking all of the risk. Um, yeah. And it, it feels like you get that flywheel of a bit of a network effect where you do enough of this, you, you get enough artists to create enough work that could sell at a great enough price that attract other artists that, you know, create other work that, right. you know, you can see the network effect kind of getting involved where it really could fundamentally change the concept of, you know, adventure travel photography as an example. Yeah. But there are so many other narratives beyond just adventure travel photographer. You could potentially photography that you could organize this around. And that's, that's what I'm kind of formulating as a key part of what I plan to do in 2023. And so, Uh, more to more to come on that and the specific projects I have <laughs> right. I have in mind, but um, you know, trying to assemble the pieces to put it together in a way that you know I'm I'm helping the artists achieve their goals and objectives and and uh, and having some mechanism that doesn't just create banging art, but actually creates a self-sustaining capability that uh, that can invite more and more people into it. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about it, and I these issues of copyright and contractual terms and how do you make sure everybody stays aligned? I think there's probably a good number of artists I could work with early on that I know and trust and probably don't have to give too much thought to that stuff. Yeah. But, but to really make this a repeatable templated approach to really open up this space, I'd love to think through these, these issues. I have two things that you should think about. The first one is the idea of the artist, the art patron. Uh, I mean, this is this is a tried and true thing. I mean, you like you just mentioned the the Mona Lisa, um, this the roof of the, you know, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Um, there's so many great examples of patrons where um, an artist is they don't have to worry about where the next paycheck's coming from. They the art that they're making is already funded by by somebody who is believes in the artist believes in what they can what they can make so there's there's that idea um there's also the idea i'm thinking about you know kind of what you're talking about and it almost feels like the idea of a of a film producer you know um and when i go on a commercial photo shoot there's somebody's funding it there's somebody who wants the art somebody who wants the thing there's a project and then there are, are there's producers both from a financial standpoint, if you're making a movie or something like that, but also um, there are also people that are involved in the, in the logistics of making things happen. And so sometimes 
um, it could be really cool to um, have different varying levels of involvement. Sometimes it might be really cool for you to be really involved because you go, Hey, this is really cool. I want to go there with you. Like you want to go on you want to meet up there. You want to go make the art together. And there's other times where you go, I trust you. You go some the, to that place, the super remote that I'm not going to go to and make it. Um, so I think you can kind of think of, I like producer. I like patron. I like both of those. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I love that. And it, it made me think of one of the early projects I was involved with, uh, the Metascapes, you know, Kat yeah. and, and a couple of other artists were involved in that. And I, I think there was one, one set that if you were to own it, it gave you the ability to, uh, visit Iceland and get yeah. a tour of, of, um, you know, Iceland to see, uh, uh the Northern lights at some point. Yeah. It was, so there was an element there of, you know, engaging the collectors in the, you know, in the uh, experience. Well, I think early on, um, so I, I jumped into NFT world kind of in May last year and I didn't really know any, I had a couple friends that were involved and I didn't, I mean, it didn't go anywhere for months for me. I just was hanging around. I was like, Hey, here's my art, but nobody knew who I was. And yet I remember along at those early days, a lot of people were selling, um, a physical experience along with the NFT. So you, you buy this one, it's super expensive. It's like three or four ETH. And that was back when ETH was, you know, like over three grand and they'd be like, and if you do this, then I, you get to come meet up with me in Iceland or you get to, you come meet me in, you know, at Louis Lake, you know? <laughs> and so that was a thing. I think that kind of, kind of people stopped doing that. And I've heard from quite a few artists that they offered it and then the collector never took me up on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I understand that. And we certainly, we, we moved away, you know, art is the utility, you know, art for art's sake, you know, should yeah. be enough. And yeah. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, this idea of, of co-creation um, has a lot of, a lot of value. And, you know, I, I even talked about it and I talked about it on some spaces to really not say this is how you have to do it, or this is, this is the only way you're going to be successful. It was really just to open up a, a door and say, Hey, if you're so inclined to think about this as a way to potentially, you know, take another approach at selling your work, it's, it's just an idea that I think is worth thinking about is how do you invite the collector in? Because there's still quite a lot of artists out there that think it's, you know, I've got a product and I need a buyer. And so it's, you know, I'm just going to think about taking my product and, and finding a buyer and please buy it, please buy it. But, uh, you know, the essence of that whole concept of co-creation of value is really that every piece I've, I've purchased, there's that moment where something in my brain connects me to the piece, you know, and, but, but that's my brain, you know, I've right. something in my psyche has interpreted something about the art, the artist, their story, their narrative, the description, the countless things have gone into it. But it's, it's that notion. And, and when artists can get in touch with what is it that's kind of sparking that interest in the mind of the collector and, and start leaning into that, I think it opens up a whole new world of possibilities. Mm -hmm. And any artist that's out there just saying, I'm going to create art and I'm going to find a buyer, they may be successful, they may not. But I think if they take another tack at it and say, what, what, what are the people who are who are indicating an interest in my art, what, what's connecting, what, what right. purpose is it serving beyond the art, uh, I think is really important. And the concept of commissioning is, you know, bring me into the process of, of actually 
creating the the thought that gave rise to the work product that you're going to produce. And I think that opens up a whole new kind of set of uh, approaches for artists to take and, and how they're thinking about creating their work. And I, I don't think there's anybody who's given me an aversion or expressed an aversion to commission pieces. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really hopeful that we can see more of it and see examples of it being, you know, put out in, in the market as something that's, that's been created uh, and produced on the, on the back of this, uh, this yeah. artist and collector relationship. Yeah. I like the idea of that. So I, I mean, this has been probably lat, like a year ago. I was, I, I've started banging this drum of, I would love to get to a point where I don't have to go mint work and then put it out on the, for somebody to find it. I would much rather, it'd be great if somebody could look through the catalog that I already have, which is pretty big and just go, Oh, I like this one. Can you mint this one? Or, or, or to, to have it be, because that just feels like it's such, it's so much more of a personal relationship. When I, when I make physical prints for people, I don't make a whole bunch of prints and have them hanging around in my house or in some storage unit. I know that some people do, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who do sell physical prints. Um, I don't do it that way. I make the print when it's ordered. Um, and so I've, I've been kind of itching for it to work differently in the NFT world. I, I, I just kind of, it feels weird to mint the work and go, okay, I minted it. Here it is. Like, well, it was here all along. It's a digital file. Why don't I just assign it to you? I'll mint it directly to you when we make a decision. That's the one you want. Like that makes sense. But, I, but what you're talking about is even more interesting because it's let's start before it's even created like that. What does that look like? Yeah. yeah. And if I had to, I I can already anticipate what some of the uh, concerns might be from, from artists, you know, artists who are like, who may never have gone down this path of commissioned work, who are, who are trying to figure out, you know, you know, is this, is this something I can, I I can lean into and I'm not selling anything. How do I find the collectors who are interested in commissioning work? And how do I find those who are interested in commissioning work from me? And so maybe just to take a minute, to explain, you know, that when, you know, when I, yeah, that's, I was just going to say, I kind of, I was already thinking that as we were talking earlier, I'm like, okay, so great. So everybody's like, okay, how do I get Frankie to hire me then? (laughs) Yeah. 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 So how do you get get any collector? And again, and, and there may be other collectors that have different criteria, but if I can, if I can kind of encourage some basic behaviors that, that may help at least get, get, my attention is, you know, number one, and I, I, I say this in a lot of opportunities I have, you've, you've got to lean into Twitter, right? Twitter is, is the de facto platform for Web3 engagement. So be active on Twitter. Um, you know, GM and GM back, it's, it's, it's kind of a simple thing and, you know, almost cliched, but it matters. You know, I try to go through and like everyone who responds to my GM with a GM and, and, and like it. And know that as I'm doing that, I'm seeing the name and I'm seeing it over and over again. And I, right. you know, in my mind, I start mapping the, the people that are engaging with me, right? Um, you know, put your art out there, you know, make sure when you're, when you put your art on, on, in a, in a Twitter thread to the degree, you know, sometimes people explicitly say, just put the art, don't put the link, Yeah. you know, certainly have a link in your profile, someplace where I can go and look at your portfolio. Um, I love artists who are supportive of others 
when people tweet that they've sold something or got an offer or there's an auction going on, I know the personalities who are out there rooting them on, right? And so that spirit of collaboration and that spirit of camaraderie with other artists is really, really uh, important to me. I personally put a lot of emphasis on the description that goes along with the portfolio of work. Mm-hmm. I like to, you know, yes, the art's going to speak to me and I'm going to assign my own narrative to it, but I love to see what the artist says about their work, what inspired it, what what process did they go through to create it. Uh, I'm a sucker for poetic descriptions. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes, you know, I'll read the... And some artists are very good at kind of adding a poem to, to the to the descriptions, and so you know, feeling that is something that connects, you know, in my in my mind. Um, but be consistent, be part of the community, be involved, be encouraging, be loving, be, be you know, you know, support the the beauty, you know, by all by all indications, avoid what I call acts of desperation. You know, if I feel like you're trying to shill because you're desperate, it, it and it's just me, you know, the way I, I see it, I'd much prefer to respond to somebody who's trying to put love and light out into the universe and not somebody who's saying, please buy this because, you know, I, I may not be able to pay my electric bill, which I'm sure there are people out there who are in that position. And I, you know, my sympathies, if if you find yourself in that position, but it's very uncommon that 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 would that that helps me kind of form a connection with the artist, and so. Can you unpack uh, that a little bit? I'm yeah, yeah. To- I'm really curious about the psychology behind that, um, because this is something that as artists we will oftentimes say to each other, like, "Yeah, don't say that. <laughs> like, it just that doesn't work." What? The reality is the ETH is going to leave your wallet either because you love it or or, or less, there's two scenarios. Let's say you buy a piece of art because you fall in love with it, because you're moved by the description, because you love the story of how it came, or you, the ETH leaves your wallet because you decide to buy it because they are desperate and you feel like they need the money. How are those two things different to you? Because I know there's yeah. people who think you've got the ETH. What difference does it make if you've got it and you're willing to spend it? Like, I would love to know. And I know that you might go, well, come on, like, I have to love it. But I'm curious, like, how does that, how do those two feel different to you? Yeah, well, there is an overlap, um, and it may not be the fact that I'm responding to you know help them in the immediate, but but there may be something about the artist. You know, I may have consistently seen them in the community being encouraging and you know being supportive and and you know putting love, light, and beauty out into the universe, and and you know there may not just be a time, and then at some point I may see that hey, this this individual is having a challenge in their life and I want to help them, but I, I, I want to help them not because they asked me, but I want to help them because I I've connected with who they are as a person over a period of time. And, and that's when the ETH will leave my wallet that, okay, now might be the time to step into this, uh, into the situation and, and uh, collect a piece of art and, uh, and, and help this, help this person out. But very rarely is it because, you know, an artist that's not known to me that, you know, I haven't seen consistently over a period of time has a, has an issue and they need help. Uh, it's, it's fairly uncommon that, you know, the, the immediate plea in that moment of time is going to be enough because I know there are so many other artists out there that right. I do have a relationship with. The timing just hasn't been right. So, you know, there's a little bit of that, but, you know, of all the things you mentioned, you know, the art itself, um, the description, 
the other elements of the art, there's also, you know, what brand is the artist putting out in the world, right? What, what, Mm -hmm. what is it about that, about that, um, about that person? And so a a great example of somebody I've collected a few pieces from who I just think is, is a, is a fantastic soul, uh, Zygmarillen from, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Nordic uh, part of, of Europe is just such an enthusiastic member of the community, right? He's always, always giving kudos out there. And I, you know, he's had some successes and he hit some dry spots, but, and he may, you know, espouse the fact that he's having a tough week or a tough day, but, you know, give it 48 hours and he's right back in there, high five and artists who are selling and, right. and being a proponent for the community. And so he's the kind of human that, you know, I would absolutely, um, Absolutely support if, if I sensed, you know, they were, they had reached a, a point, uh, but it's because of the yeah. history of a year of he and I interacting and him being encouraging and positive and just being an awesome uh, human. And there's so many, Dan, you know, all the folks that are involved with Ardverse and how many of them are just loving, kind, considerate individuals putting nothing but positivity out into the world. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why I love the community and I do, I do a lot to support support those artists, and I just want to make sure that artists are in tune with that. That their persona, their brand in the community, is is a very very big factor in 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 what will ultimately be their success. And I hear what you, one of the things I hear in what you're saying is it comes down to relationship, which is something you said earlier. That Absolutely. your it's it's not only the brand that there that's happening when you're not really paying attention, but it's also how do they interact? What is their long-term, how do they behave from on a, in a long-term scale? Not just, oh, hey, that looks really cool. And they're really fired up and excited about it right now. But what have they been like for the last few months? What is their, what's the long-term prognosis here? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. You know, I, I've gone through periods of time where I've contemplated selling some items from my collection and, it's interesting. I go so far as to see the item. I've held on to it for a while. I may look at the collection and see if the artist's been selling other things and if I can get a little ETH back and maybe recycle it. And I can probably count on one hand how many <laughs> how many items I've sold because there's that moment when I click the piece and I go through the effort to list it where I, in my mind, I can visualize my interactions with that artist. Right. And I'll stop. I'll cancel it because I'll say, yeah, you know, I don't want to let this one go. So it's absolutely, you know, what comes what what pops into my mind is my, you know, relationship. And it's, it's amazing. Talk about the psychology, psychology of this is that, you know, that relationship was 100% digital. I may not even know what they look mm-hmm. like. Right. right. It's all just been, you know, GM responses or, you know, uh, you know, funny little quips and, in a Twitter thread that, um, that forms that relationship. So it's right. such a fascinating space in a community that, yeah, these, these questions are really interesting to tear apart sometimes. Yeah. Well, it, for me, it's, it's interesting as well to be able to, you know, I don't know how many, how many of these people you've met in person. Um, like good, good examples for me. I mentioned Jason earlier. I've, I have literally driven around in his vehicle all over, uh, the North shore of Oahu, um, and, and downtown Waikiki. Um, Steve Wallace is a, has become a really good digital friend, but he came out, he was in Oregon over the summer. We went out and shot the Milky Way together. 
um, Wolf Mercury is a good, really good friend of mine. I actually stay at his apartment when I go up and for work trips up to Seattle occasionally. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's interesting that I'm not like, they're amazing people and I've met them in person, but there's also other people that I would say are nearly as good of friends that I've never met and we're all connected. And I, I think it does come down to a relationship. I'm willing to cut a lot of slack to somebody who's a friend who I've gotten to know. And also I want to own the piece and I don't want to let it go, you know? And so that's, I, I totally get that. There's, there's moments where sometimes I'll buy multiples. If there's additions, I'll buy multiples so that I can sell one later, but I don't have to get rid of all of them. So yeah, that, that's, that's something that's, artists, that, that's something us artists do quite a bit. Well, <laughs> if we're yeah, going to support, yeah. sometimes we'll buy a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've looked through my, uh, my collection and see, you know, multiples of, uh, some edition pieces that I've got that even those I have a tough time, Yeah, you know, you know, giving up, but yeah, it's exactly right. Do you ever think about like, where is it going to go? Like who else, who's going to have it next? Is that part uh, of your when, process? When I'm, when I'm selling? Yeah. Uh, not, not so much, you know, but again, because I've sold so few of them, you know, some of the PFP projects I got involved in early, uh, I've kind of let them go because to, I think you made the point earlier, some of the complexity of staying engaged with some of these communities, you know, I, I, I coined a term, I think I coined it. I should have tweeted about it so I could claim, uh, but this concept, I call it discord dissonance. <laughs> Okay. So it's like the, the fog of war and discord when you've got all the communities you're involved with yeah, and you reach the point where you just can't keep up with them all. Right. And then you get your DM group threads that you can't keep up with. And, and it's just, it's so much going on and you've got to trim back and slim back and try to figure out, you know, where you want to, where you want to focus your firepower. But you know, some of the PFP projects, which I think they ran the risk of not truly understanding how much time do the people participating in the PFP have to follow that particular project? Right. Right. To go in, you know, multiple times a week and find out, am I missing a, a mint? Is there a, is there a whitelist I could get access to? And at some point you just say, uh, you know, screw it. I don't have time to keep yeah. track of it all. And in fact, if there was a service that could somehow, you know, alert me when this project you're subscribed to, uh, it has something that you need to take action on. You know, yeah. go take action. Oh, I, it. I totally missed what was the um, vibe knots. Uh, okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> DW brutal. That's his thing. And I was like, this is awesome. I want to be part of this. And I completely missed the mint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I can't tell you how many of those. So it's easy to get out of the PFP projects, but the, yeah. and, and, and if I've sold a few of those, I, I don't even think I tracked who bought it, why they bought it. Yeah. I've just moved on. But some of the other, I, I, I don't think I've actually sold any fine art work um wow yeah i think i've held on to it all that's so. commendable <laughs> that's <laughs> that's cool i and i i haven't really sold i have a few things that are listed out there because i want to sometimes i'll list stuff that like additions because i'm trying to help the artist yeah. because i, I want to help them raise the floor you know if 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 one of them sells it might sell there might be more demand for it but um right. i usually do that i usually ask i would just say hey is it cool if i list this for you um but yeah, no, that's, I, I kind of, I feel you on that. So that's pretty cool. And so you've got some plans for the coming year for, for working on some of this stuff. Um, what is the best way for people to kind of 
see that when it happens? I mean, is it just following you on Twitter? Is there? Abs- um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I I think by the end of the year, which isn't too far away, about a week, I'll I'll probably tweet some specifics out around projects, commission based projects that I'm I'm eager to uh, get started in in 2023. And I'd, I'd suggest there shouldn't be any FOMO because my, my hope is very likely that within a tight circle of, of people I know and trust and have a relationship with, I'll try to get one or two of these under my belt with, with the goal that, yes, I want the banging art at the end of it, but I also want to figure out if this concept of a repeatable, sustainable process uh, is possible. And, uh, and you know, who knows, this may become a full-time job for me at some point if I can prove that out uh, and really center myself on the concept of commissioned travel photography around a compelling narrative. Right. Um, and so that's what I'm, that's what I'm, uh, I'm interested in, in exploring. And I, I appreciate the time, Dan, to kind of tease out some of that uh, and talk about it, but uh, absolutely look for more in, uh, in 2023. Oh, that's exciting. I, no, I love, I love hearing this because Ultimately, as an artist, your goal is to make something that that conveys a message or that um, that you know tells a story, and and to figure out how to connect with that person. Even this is an interesting because you're you're kind of I was I almost think of this as like it's like a prequel. Like you're kind of instead of me making it and then finding the person, we get to kind of like figure out okay, how do we let's create the motivation together. Like that's a super interesting idea. Um, and it's not, like I said, it's not foreign for somebody like myself. I, you know, I, I, I get assignments all the time. And so it's, it's not that weird to kind of think that somebody goes, Hey, I want you to go make this art and here's, I'm willing to pay you. You know, there's production, there's costs, there's production. I'm going to use it a certain way. And that's just a, and I think maybe if I were to speak a little bit to your, your questions about licensing and copyright and things. I think it's, it's easy to just know that like most artists are open to having that conversation. If you just say, here's how I want to use it, they'll go, Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. That'll look like this. That, that's what this will cost. Or yeah, I'm comfortable with this. And I think m- most artists would just be honored to be asked and they'll give you a fair, you know, yeah, here's what I'm willing to do. You know, I, yeah. so, so it's, it's super exciting. I, I love it. And I, I will, I'm going to pitch some, one more thing that I've thought of being a commercial photographer, licensing images to companies all the time, I am hopeful that at some point we can start to see that people would just pay for licensing by purchasing an NFT that you, they would just go, Oh yeah, I'm buying, here's the project. It's all attached to this NFT. It's bought. The contract is all in there. It's all done. I think we have, we've kind of turned the NFT digital art stuff into a little bit of a, a special flower. And I don't think it needs to be. I think that it could be way easier to say, Hey, we're just, we're negotiating um, a product and a service here. Um, art commission. We can kind of demystify some of that, I think, and kind of go, Hey, Frankie wants art. Hey, you make art. Why don't we, let's make something happen here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to achieve the, you know, the true, I think, benefit of web three by, you know, removing the concept of middle people, right. Yeah. And, and having as much of the value accrued to the artist as possible yeah. is, uh, is a noble, noble endeavor. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I love that. But it's also fun for you to think about how do you get to share in that? How, how can, because that allows you to tap into the creative side of things in a way that as a collector, you really don't get to do. That's right. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. Well, I'm, um, this has been really fun. I'm, I'm, uh, I love talking about this stuff. It's, it's fun to kind of think out loud and, and work out what would this look like and, and that sort of thing. But I'm excited to see, you know, to see more and please, if there's, you know, we get to a point where it's, it's more fleshed out and you want to talk some more, let's, <laughs> let's do this again. Yeah. It's uh, been incredibly, incredibly helpful. I appreciate you, uh, putting some, uh, putting some shape to the, uh, the very early ideas I have. So thanks Dan. Yeah. Well, and I, and I'm, one of the things that's fun, I would, I'm going to encourage everybody that to, to just look you up. I will put it, I'll put a link in the show notes when I, when I publish this, um, to your, your portfolio of collected work, um, and your Twitter bio and all that kind of stuff. So people can find you. Um, is there any other, another thing that you'd want people to know about or kind of look out for, or, you know, kind of parting wisdom? Yeah, no, you know, uh, follow me on Twitter. You, you see my Twitter profile and in my Twitter profile, there's a link to my, uh, on cyber gallery. I try to keep it fresh and up to date. Please take a, take a visit. Uh, looks great with a, uh, with a VR headset. If you've got one, if not, nice. uh, you know, good, uh, good desktop will do as well. So, yeah. uh, but thanks Dan. I'll, uh, I'll see everybody on Twitter and Dan, you and I'll stay in touch. That sounds great. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Also, I'm always looking for interesting people to interview. So if you know someone I should talk to, please get in touch. You can email me at gotakepictures.com or send a message on Twitter at gotakepics or on Instagram or Facebook with the handle gotakepictures. New episodes are on the way soon, and if you subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they drop. But in the meantime, go take pictures.